they're they're celebrating this blatant anti-catholic victory and anti-christian because they're not only mocking nuns they're blaspheming our lord they're blaspheming our lady this is a blatant attack on all true christian believers they're mocking and blaspheming what we hold sacred and that's now celebrated in our culture Hey, my friends, have I got something great for you. Now, you might say Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione needs no introduction, but in fact, he does. Because you know what? I've been following the Archbishop since 2009, when he actually first became the Bishop of Oakland. Um, he was then in charge of about 550,000 Catholics. And he, in his inauguration homily, was so very pro-life. It was amazing. He lamented that the home, the United States, to which his grandparents came from Sicily nearly a hundred years before, had become less hospitable, especially to the unborn. In addition to his obvious, you know, push for the right to life, Bishop Cordelione shared with Pope Benedict a love for music. Uh, he's a saxophone player, by the way, and also an appreciation for the traditional liturgy. You know that he presided over a solemn high mass in the extraordinary forum for his Thomas Aquinas College uh, back in the day, and also offered a mass in the ordinary form, but in Latin and facing the tabernacle. Um, and so, just an amazing prelate we've been following at LifeSite for a very long time. He said in that inaugural homily, and I'll quote it for you, he said, It seems our nation has become a much less welcoming place, even sometimes downright inhospitable. Um, he says, Worse of all, our nation has become a land that shows itself all too often unwelcoming toward the most defenseless of our brothers and sisters who are not even given a chance to be born and so are eliminated from society even before they see the light of day. This inhospitality, he continued, this hostility creates a tsunami of moral and physical violence which leaves countless damaged and destroyed lives in its wake. Now, in 2012, he became the Archbishop of San Francisco. Now, you know, San Francisco is one of the most homosexual places on the planet. And yet, that didn't stop the Archbishop from speaking out against same-sex marriage, the truth of Christ on marriage and the family. He spoke at the March for Marriage in Washington, D.C. in that same year, and it was he gave a widely circulated interview uh, to, to uh, USA Today at the time. Um, and in that interview, he emphasized that marriage is ordered primarily toward the raising of children by their mother and father, the basic building block of civilized society. He said, and I quote, A society that is careless about getting fathers and mothers together to raise their children in one loving family is causing enormous heartache. To legalize marriage between two people of the same sex would enshrine in the law the principle that mothers and fathers are interchangeable or irrelevant and that marriage is essentially an institution about adults, not children. Marriage would mean nothing more than giving adults recognition and benefits in their most significant relationship, end quote. The Archbishop asked, how can we do this to our children? And you know, for that kind of fidelity to Christ and the Church's truth on marriage and the family, Archbishop Corleone was condemned 
not only by the local politicians, but even by, and get this, 80% of Catholic teachers protested his leadership. In fact, wealthy Catholics in San Francisco put an ad in the paper, a full-page ad, asking Pope Francis to remove him. We at LifeSite did, you know, uh, did support at the time. But, I mean, this is crazy stuff. So that's the kind of pressure he was under. And this is way back in, in 2013. But he continued, undaunted. In 2018, he called... Remember, this is when the USCCB was looking into uh, sexual abuse of children by priests. And one of the things that came up, one of the studies that came up, showed that there was a 100% correlation, not causal relation, but correlation between uh, homosexuality and priestly sexual abuse in this one study. Now, most of the bishops didn't want anything to do with that. They were like, no, 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 we're fighting sexual abuse of children. It's terrible, terrible. It's equal. It's all the same. It's like, oh, no, there was a connection there, an obvious one, but no one was willing to call it out except Archbishop Corleone. In fact, what he said to his brother bishops at the USCCB meeting, he brought up the study. It was published and released by the Ruth Institute, and it was by a Catholic priest, no less. It was Father Paul Sullins. He found a near 100% correlation between an increase of homosexual clergy and an increase of sexual abuse of minors. And so Archbishop Corleone told his brother's bishops this, I think the worst thing we could do is to discredit this study so we don't have to deal with it or ignore or deny this reality altogether. I think, he added, I think we need to lean into it. The correlation exists, and we have to face it. To flee from it would be to flee from the truth and to be perceived as fleeing from the truth. Not only that, he's gone into all the controversial issues where so many people are silent, even in the face of what the trans ideology is doing to children with these puberty blockers. Archbishop Corleone goes there. He says that he, he slammed puberty blockers, and other transgender procedures for children. He called them uh, experimental practices. He called them terrible and an affront to the created order. And these are his quotes. He said, there's so much scientific evidence of the harm this does to children, giving them puberty blockers, and not just in terms of their sexual development, but otherwise too. And he said, in other aspects of physical health. It's terrible, he said. But the other side has captured the narrative, and many people have been duped into thinking this way. It perplexes me. I don't know how anyone could think that something that's so obvious as a boy is a boy and needs to be grow into being a man can be a question. Not only that, do you remember when like the whole church was in lockdown and it was so terrible for Catholics everywhere? So few bishops did anything. Well, Archbishop Corleone, he actually went public praising priests for clandestinely offering mass during the COVID lockdowns. Here is his quotes. I know that many of you, he said, I know that many of you found ways to celebrate mass for your people, even clandestinely. I am grateful to you for that and proud of you for doing so. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Well, he did something else that's amazing, too, that's created and caught all the headlines all over, not only America, but all over the world. And that was with regard to Nancy Pelosi. After trying, because you know where San Francisco is, that's the home of Nancy Pelosi, and so he was her bishop. And there's a canon law, 915, that talks about denying Holy Communion to pro-abortion politicians, well, to 
Catholics who don't practice the faith, and obstinately so. And after trying for a decade to meet with Nancy Pelosi, to counsel her, to tell her that her stances are not aligned with the Catholic Church, he, as her bishop, rightfully so, denied her Holy Communion and told all the priests in his diocese to refuse giving her Holy Communion. Nancy Pelosi went from there, of course, to the Vatican, where at a very public mass with the Pope present, she received Holy Communion nonetheless. We also had that day the release of a document from the Pope called Desiderio Desideravi, which seems to indicate, heretically by the way, that the only thing needed for the reception of Holy Communion is faith. But I wanted to talk to Archbishop Corleone about all of what's going on in the U.S. today because there is a great anti-Catholic persecution. I wanted to ask him also about what's happening with Nancy Pelosi and all of that and if he regrets that decision because of all the pushback he received. This is the John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned for this interview with Archbishop Salvatore Cordeleone. Hello, dear LifeSite viewers. We are living in a moment of truth. Each day we encounter the evils of the woke agenda, especially during this month of June, as the woke corporations, they continue to infiltrate our homes via the media. Now this month, the mainstream media works overtime to spread false teaching and make a mockery of traditional families and the Christian values we hold most dear. But look around. Look at the pushback against Bud Light and Target. People are finally starting to wake up and they're actually looking. They're looking for the clarity and answers. So this is our moment to give the world what they need so desperately, the truth. We have a golden opportunity right now. There's a surge of interest and we need to jump on it to give the public the truth on life, faith, family and freedom that they so desperately need. But you know what? We can't do that without you. We are in the midst of a quarterly summer fundraising campaign, and we are in need of your support, both prayerful and financial. We must raise a minimum of $500,000 before June 30th. So please donate at the link in the description below and be on the lookout, as LifeSite will be on the road during this month of June, heading to Los Angeles, to Chicago, to Washington, D.C., all to shed the light of truth during this critical time. Thank you so much for your prayers and for your support and your dedication. Let's take advantage of this moment and by the grace of God, may our efforts serve him and his truth and may that bear much fruit. For LifeSite News, this is John Henry Weston. May God bless you. Archbishop Cordelione, so good to be with you. Thank you. If you wouldn't mind, we always start with the sign of the cross if you could lead us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. So, so good to be with you. We are having an immense attack on the faith from America, which, you know, is should be all about freedom of religion. You've recently had something happen there where you are in California, in Marin County there. The district attorney has decided basically to treat almost as nothing the destruction of one of the statues on church property. I believe that's where the police even just let all the destruction happen. Tell us what happened there. Yes, this was on uh, what they now call Indigenous Peoples Day. This was October of 2020. And as you may recall, it was in the midst of all of those street protests. And there was a lot of tearing down of statues and desecrating of monuments around the country. And at the same time, this uh, defund the police movement. 
So they, uh, we knew this statue was vulnerable. It's on parish property. It's one of the 21 uh, missions that the Franciscans started up and down the California coast. Not one of the ones personally founded by Sarah. He founded the first nine, but it was in that chain that he began and his successors continued. Uh, it was on the parish property. They knew it was vulnerable. And so they, they protected it because uh, they thought it might have been uh, violated. So they put padding around it and then sealed it with the very heavy plastic wrapping material called Volquin. So it's very thick and heavy and they seal it up very tight. So the protesters knew what they were doing. They came with the tools they needed to cut through all of that with the spray paint to paint it red and then uh, the tools they needed to tear it down. The police were there. They watched it happen. They didn't intervene to stop it, even though the, the parish had an understanding with the police department that if protesters trespassed onto the parish property, they would intervene to stop it. Uh, after it happened, they did arrest the ones who tore it down. Uh, it was, I know anyone else's probably would have been called a hate crime, but we're Catholics, so we can't expect the same fair treatment as everyone else. But I was pleased that when the district attorney charged them with felony vandalism, which it was, it was clearly felony vandalism. It's caught on camera and everything. And I understand too, a district attorney has to charge, uh, put the charge out that the attorney will think will get a conviction. So I, so that was, I was pleased that at least that had happened. I didn't say anything more about it, but then it took a long time for anything to happen. And then for the five perpetrators who were arrested asked for restorative justice, which happens after there's been a conviction. And then they try to bring about reconciliation between the criminal and the victims of the crime. When they suggested restorative justice, I suggested that we do it before a trial because I really wanted to avoid a trial. I would have preferred an honest reconciliation and restitution uh, rather than a trial. And so I asked, I, I suggest we do it before a trial, but there would have to be an apology and a repudiation of what they did that recognize the harm it's done to us, that uh, there be a monetary restitution, that we have a credible historian present at the discussion. So we're talking about the true historical facts because um, there were three eras and people conflate what happened in the different eras. There was the mission era under the Spaniards, then the Mexican era when the missions were secularized and the Franciscans expelled the schools closed and the Indians dispossessed what they had. And then the California or American period after that when there was an actual genocide perpetrated on the Indians. So there were different abuses of different degrees of severity in the three eras and we needed to be clear about that. Uh, so uh, then the mediator for the restorative justice uh, began to treat the, uh, the defendants as if they were the victims of the crime and the archdiocese, and I in particular, the bad guys, right? And so the mediator was working only with, with the defendants. Well, she claimed that they were getting, getting them ready in order to bring them into a conversation, but I was a problem. It'd be better that I stay out of the process. She would speak to the pastor and a parishioner at that parish who, who pretended as if he represented the parishioners there, but he was speaking for himself. He was on the side of the defendants and against me and pretending as if the parishioners were on his side. Uh, so to speak with them, but not with us. She, was, she would send updates to our legal counsel, um, but she wasn't bringing us involved in the problem. I was the problem. And when I bent over backwards to be conciliatory, so uh, finally, when this dragged on and on and on, I could not trust that this would be an honest process. So I said, we're going to withdraw at this point. And in fact, she misunderstood what that meant. Oh, she was so happy that I wised up and was bowing out of the process. 
She didn't understand. I told her, I was very clear. I represent the victims. The pastor represents the victims who are the parishioners, but the victims are beyond the parishioners. It's all the Catholics in our archdiocese and even beyond. I represent them. But she was so happy when I bowed out. And then she realized, oh, we're, we're stopping this altogether. <laughs> um, so then the, the DA, when she did this diversion tactic where it reduces the charges to a misdemeanor, uh, she said one of the reasons, well, two reasons, lack of a criminal history, but also their, the defendant's participation in restorative justice. When there was no restorative justice, the victims were left out. How can you say there was restorative justice when the victims were left out? And now they're left with just basically a slap on the wrist to apologize. I'm still waiting to hear an apology. This was about a month ago uh, to uh, do 50 hours of community service and listen to a lecture by a historian. Uh, so this is this is very large. This is very disturbing because we see it's part of this whole movement of attacks on Catholic Church property and desecration of our sacred symbols going on all around the country. There have been over 200 of these in the last couple of years, and they, they just keep getting worse. And, you know, it never stops there. If it goes unchecked, it will continue to get worse. And history teaches us that attacks on property, if they continue unchecked and are accepted by the society and now in our society even celebrated, it, it, it eventually drifts into attacks on persons. So. We have to prepare ourselves. This is happening all over the country. As you said, just this week, we're going to have the L.A. Dodgers give an award to what has to be one of the most upfront anti-Catholic hate groups around. They call themselves the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, these trans men who dress up as nuns and look horrific and do it specifically to poke fun at, to, to, to demean our sisters, our, our, the holy nuns, the, those women who have given themselves to Christ as their brides, as, as his brides. It's unreal. Hey, friends, this July, we at LifeSite are celebrating 25 years of service to life, faith, family, and freedom with a gala in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. So especially for those of you who couldn't join us in the United States, LifeSite is gathering our whole team and a few very special guests in the pro-life and pro-family movement for a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity at our newly announced 25th anniversary Canadian gala. LifeSite's star video reporter Jim Hale will be there with an on-stage special with the 16-year-old Canadian pro-family hero, Josh Alexander. Experience LifeSite's Faith and Reason show live with Father James Altman and Liz Yore. And you'll be able to interact with our reporters from all over the world, including U.S. Bureau Chief Doug Mainwaring, Canadian reporter Anthony Murdoch, and Rome correspondent Michael Haynes. You'll also hear keynotes from LifeSite co-founder Steve Jelsevac and myself. So RSVP for the 25th anniversary Canadian Gala now. And don't miss the opportunity to get a live, in-person, studio experience of LifeSite's top news show that broadcasts every Friday at 8 p.m., Faith and Reason. Seating is very limited, so RSVP and get your tickets today for LifeSite's 25th anniversary Canadian Gala in the beautiful Hilton Toronto Markham Hotel this July 18th. To buy tickets for the 25th Anniversary Canadian Gala, visit gala25can.lifesitenews.com. I look forward to seeing you there. God bless you. Yes, I said it keeps getting worse, doesn't it? Now, uh, 
it's been tolerated for a long time and never stops there. Now it's celebrated. They're, they're celebrating this blatant anti-Catholic bigotry and anti-Christian because they're not only mocking nuns, they're blaspheming our Lord, they're blaspheming our lady. This is a blatant attack on all true Christian believers. They're mocking and blaspheming what we hold sacred. And that's now celebrated in our culture. So it's, I hope the alarm bells are going off in, in the minds of our peoples. So they see how serious the situation is. We, we cannot afford to be complacent anymore. Bishop Strickland will be there leading a procession of reparation. Um, and uh, he will be, as I understand it, holding a relic of John Paul II, a first-class relic. Um, I'll be there. Hopefully there'll be many, many Catholics there as well. Please pray for us if you could. This is an effort that we're trying to do to, to show that we love the faith, that we love our sisters, and that we won't tolerate this kind of anti-Catholic bigotry in America. We need that kind of public witness. And, um, and unfortunately, we can no longer appeal to conscience or even a basic sense of decency anymore. All that matters is the bottom line. So I would agree with Bishop Barron that we need to vote with our feet and, and not give business to those who are mocking us and desecrating what we hold sacred. Amen to that. Now, a lot of this actually comes from people who call themselves Catholic. And that's one of the things that you've faced most bravely in America. You have one of these types of people in your diocese, very public figure in Nancy Pelosi, and you have worked with or tried to work with her to bring her to a correct understanding of the Holy Eucharist and her stance on attacking life through abortion. That's gone. It's, it's been very, very public. You've been attacked in the media so much. Where are, where's your stance with that? And, and do you wish that sort of never happened at this point? Do you wish you never even went there? Or what's your take on it? I'm very grateful to God. He brought me with a lot of hard work uh, and uh, taking it very spiritually as well with prayer and fasting and masses and trying to do it as pastorally sensitively and pastoral solicitude as possible. Because of all of that, I believe got me, got, God got me to the point of absolute clarity and conscience that I had to do this. Uh, it was, I had absolutely no doubt whatsoever when the moment came that I had to do it. Mm. So I'm at peace. I don't care about attacks in the media and all that, because I know there are also a lot of people who, who support this. And I know there are a lot of people who continue to pray for her conversion. So I don't regret it at all. I, what I regret is the lack of uh, opportunities to be able to gauge her in conversation about this. But you know what, if you observe anyone who's on that side of the issue, when the hard questions come up, they won't answer them. <laughs> they won't answer about what's going in, on inside of a pregnant woman's womb. Absolutely. So we know they know they're wrong. They know they're wrong. They can't be at peace in their conscience because they know they're wrong because they cannot give a simple, straightforward answer to a simple, straightforward question. So we need to pray for their conversion and continue to witness to the sanctity of life, sanctity of marriage and family life as well. One of the most difficult things probably to deal with was your brother bishops and, and others in religion, in clergy and hierarchy who opposed you on this. Um, how did that play out for you? We do have disagreements on how to pastorally handle an issue such as this, not on the principle, but on the pastoral application. But I think we've been respectful toward each other to not publicly contradict each other's decisions or lack of decisions in the matter. We have to respect 
we have to trust each bishop is following his conscience and and respect that. And I think that's happened in my case as well. There hasn't been any uh, public criticism against me from brother bishops. I think we all we're all feeling the discomfort and sensitivity of this, and we understand we have to respect each other's judgments in this area. One of the last things I'd like to ask you about is just the cancel culture. You might have heard uh, LifeSite's been taken off YouTube over the last few years, not only once, but three times. They've removed probably nearly half a million subscribers from us. Um, it's happening everywhere. Catholics are being denied medical school because they're refusing to go along with abortion or euthanasia. What do you make of that and uh, where America's at today? You know, uh, secularism is its own form of religion. It's a fundamentalist religion. They don't, they won't allow conversation about topics when people disagree. Look, look what's happening on elite uh, campus, uh, campuses of elite universities, Stanford, Yale, and so forth. They don't, anyone comes on who speaks an opinion different from their own, they shout them down and they're not allowed to speak. Sometimes faculty or administrators side with the students and shutting down conversation on an important topic with which the students have a different opinion than, than the speaker. There's no, it's, that shows you it's a fundamentalist religion because it brokers no dissent. It won't even engage in conversation with someone who, who dissents. And they have all, all the markings of a religion. They have their infallible dogmas. They have their sacraments. They have their saints. Uh, they have their rituals. They have their index of forbidden books. And uh, they, they broker no dissent. Uh, so uh, we're heading into a time of, despite the rhetoric on the other side, very severe intolerance. We have to keep faith and reason alive. Now, not just faith, but reason as well. Reason is going by the wayside. We need to keep both alive because we know from our Catholic tradition, we know that we cannot comprehend the truth without faith and reason both. And they have to work together each have to make its own unique contribution and serve as a check on the other because when one is removed, the other goes off in a, a direction that gets away from the truth. They need to be working together. We need to keep both faith and reason alive so we can keep that flame of, of learning and truth uh, shining in the midst of this period of darkness. Archbishop Cordelione, thank you so much. You have the heart of a lion as your, as your name depicts. How can people help you? How can they support you? And uh, we are praying for you every day, but what can we do to help? Thank you so much. Well, keep please keep the prayers coming. Prayer does work uh, in, in God's own way, but uh, God's will, will, we're agents of God's will when we pray. So please continue to pray to make your voices heard, your, your um, public uh, demonstration about uh, the, the LA Dodger situation is one example. Write op-eds, write letters to the editor, uh, organize, try to get good people elected to school boards, local city councils, and then up from there. We need good, honest uh, politicians who will true, truly have the common good at heart and care for the, those who are needy in a very genuine way. So so do participate in, 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 life, in public life uh, in a way that can help build up a better respect for each other and a better culture of life. Awesome. And in conclusion, may I ask for your blessing for all of our LifeSite viewers and readers? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he let his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he look upon you kindly and grant you his peace, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
Thank you, Archbishop Cordelione, so very much. May God bless you, and God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Hi, everyone. This is John Henry Weston. We hope you enjoyed this program. To see more like it, be sure to hit the subscribe button below to get all the latest content from LifeSite News. Check the links in the description to read more and connect with us on social media so that you can stay up to date with all the latest life, family, faith, and freedom news. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you.